Thank you all so much for being with us this morning. And uh, this morning's message is entitled, A Faithful Sacrifice. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we've been walking through Hebrews over the last uh, year. (laughs) And we took a little bit of a break in the middle of our um, quarantine uh, back in the summer. And then we uh, took a break over Christmas a little bit as well. So we've uh, gone a little bit longer than we expected, but that's okay. So we are in chapter 11, and this morning we are in chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. And as you know, we've been walking through the book of Hebrews uh, here recently, and we've been looking at some of the heroes of the faith. We've been looking at uh, what they accomplished and how they accomplished it. And today we are going to look at uh, Abraham and Isaac in that tremendous story, which I've already read from Genesis chapter 22. Now to begin... uh, I should let you all know that uh, on January 8th of this year, so just a, a couple days ago, uh, it was the 65th anniversary of the death of Jim Elliott and four of his missionary friends. Now, some of you all may be familiar with that story, and if you're not, let me just uh, give you a brief uh, overview. Jim Elliott, who was a graduate of Wheaton College, was a missionary along with his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, and four of their friends. And their missionary purpose, their calling, was to bring the gospel to native uh, individuals in Central and South America. And in January of 1956, Jim and four of his uh, companions flew a plane into Ecuador to reach the Hurani people who had not yet received the gospel. Uh, Likely, they had never seen a plane before. And so they landed, and Jim and his one of his buddies got out of the plane to greet this group of individuals, and two of the natives came to the plane as if they were interested in taking a ride on the plane. When Jim and one of his missionary friends got out of the plane, they proceeded to attack them with spears and killed all five of them. And they didn't find them until a few days later when they floated down the river. A tragic end, it would seem, to a tremendous cause for the gospel. But the story gets even better. is that Jim's wife, Elizabeth, chose to continue to follow the Lord's will. And actually for several years moved to Ecuador and spent her life with those same individuals that killed her husband and those fellow missionaries. And because of the seeds that were planted by the life and death of Jim Elliott and also the ministry of Elizabeth Elliott, many of those individuals came to Christ, accepted Jesus as their Savior, and to this day, there are remnants of that, uh, of that uh, sacrifice and of that ministry uh, in that area of Ecuador. And it's just a beautiful picture of, uh, of what God can do with a tragedy. It is a picture of the sacrifice that Christians are called to, uh, and many are called to the ultimate sacrifice. Now, why do I bring that up this morning in response to this story that we're talking about with Abraham and Isaac? Now, folks, I have preached this message. In fact, this was the passage, Genesis 22, 1 through 19, was the passage that I selected on Father's Day 
many years ago when I preached my very first sermon, and I selected it as a Father's Day text. Um, it was technically it was my second sermon, but I want to forget my first sermon, and so I count that as my second as my real first sermon. And uh, I haven't really preached it until today. Uh, why do those two subjects or those two instances come together, the sacrifice of Isaac and the story of Jim Elliot? Well, it's this. Many of us in the church as Christians long to have the faith that it took for Jim Elliot and his friends to go to Ecuador to share the gospel, to have that kind of faith. We often would call that courage, but folks, that kind of courage is only stimulated by a God-sized faith. And so we long to have that faith that would encourage us to go to a land that we are not familiar with at all, to a people who have never seen the likes of you, to share the gospel knowing that they were risking their life. Be, uh, let's be very clear. Jim Elliott and the rest of his friends knew that they were risking their lives. They knew that they very well could die in pursuit of sharing the gospel. And they did. But we're still talking about them 65 years later that experience and the fruit that was a result of it. We long to have the... Can you imagine being Elizabeth Elliot and having a daughter, a young daughter, and instead of spending years mourning, uh, mourning the loss of her husband in the comfort of the United States, all right, she could have been faithful in serving the Lord in the United States with air conditioning and TV and all these sorts of things. But what did she do? Instead, she goes to Ecuador and lives with these same people that speared her husband to death in order to complete the commission by which she was given. What kind of faith does that take? And I feel that many in the church long to have that kind of faith. We're going to be talking about that kind of faith Today, and we're going to be looking at Abraham to do that. So our passage this morning from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, reads as follows. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises and yet was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the story of Abraham and Isaac. We thank you for missionaries and uh, and, and those commissioned uh, by you to go to the far reaches of the earth in order to share the gospel, risking their life, risking comfort, risking um, uh, ridicule, and uh, all sorts of things by the world in order that people by, might know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, be with me this morning as I uh, attempt to be faithful in presenting this text uh, that people might come uh, to know that same faith. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, my question to you this morning is, was Jim and Elizabeth, for that matter, were they actually faithful or were they reckless? Were they faithful or were they reckless? Let's just go back. Was Abraham faithful or was he reckless? Now, that's something that we need to wrestle with as the church, as a Christian, that follows Christ. We need, to, we need to wrestle with the idea, are we being faithful 
or are we being reckless? And so that, asks, that causes us to have to ask this question. What is faith? Now, we've talked about this before, and Hebrews gives us a partial definition. The author of Hebrews says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. But what does that even mean? What it, what it means, if I could reword it, is this. Faith is having the confidence that what we hope for will come to fruition. That's a general definition of faith. And when we come to it with reference to the Lord, when it comes to in reference to Christ, what we say is we, our faith is having the confidence in Christ, in God, that he will do what he says that he will do based upon what he's done in the past and what he has done, what he has promised that he will do in the future, and that our actions are indicative of that faith. What does that mean? It means that faith without action really isn't faith. It's just our faith has to be faith in word and in deed, not just a nice sound bite. We can't say, I have faith in the Lord, but then be disobedient to the Lord. That's not faith. That's a sound bite. For the Christian, Paul tells us that saving faith is a gift. And God gives the elect faith or the saving confidence to not only believe, but to follow his son Jesus. So without this faith, we cannot believe, we cannot obey, and we cannot please God. Let me, let me say this bluntly. This is just blunt. You cannot please God without trusting in Christ. That's just the truth. That's the biblical truth. There is only one way to the Father, and that is through Christ. Over the past few weeks, we've been examining what this faith looks like. And so we've seen that faith looks like a man who, when called by God, leaves his home to go to an unfamiliar land, to be a sojourner in that land. Faith looks like a son whose faithful worship pleased God, but also led to the death, to his death by his brother. Faith also looks like a mother who believed that God would open her womb in old age. And today we're going to see that faith looks like a man following God in obedience, even though obedience might mean the sacrifice of his one and only son, the heir to the promise. That that's what faith looks like. Now, we're going to talk here in a little bit about what faith looks like for us. These are extreme examples in the text to demonstrate how God has used the faith of his people in order to procure the promises, the, fr the fruit of the promises that he's made. But we also, want to look like, we also want to talk about what does the faith look like for us? How do we apply this in our own lives? And so to the believer, faith appears to be obedience. To the world, faith looks reckless. Faith looks reckless. Now, I guarantee you today, if the same incident happened today in 2021 and Jim Elliott went down to Ecuador to give his life for the sake of, for the sake of the gospel, the world would not celebrate Jim Elliott. What would you see? Every social media handle from the world's perspective would say that he was a moron that he shouldn't have been doing it. It was reckless. He deserved what he got. 
That guy should not be bringing his Anglo-Saxon religion, because that's what we say in, in social media, down to Ecuador. He should have left well enough alone. Folks, that's not what we're called to do. By the way, just FYI, the majority of missionaries are actually not from the United States anymore. They're from other countries like Africa and Asia. And there are missionaries, Christian missionaries, that are no longer going to South America for the sake of the gospel. They're actually coming here. Why? Because there are many, many people in the United States that are lost. The United States is not the generator or the creator or the originator of missions. It's just not. It's a biblical concept for all who are believers. Let me just throw that out there to you. So today, Jim Elliott would look like a fool. And let me be honest, Elizabeth Elliot would look like a fool today too. In fact, some might even call her a child abuser by taking her child to go and live with the people who murdered her husband. Because that's what we do. To the world, faith looks reckless. As we've said before, true faith always produces obedience. And this is because faith means that we trust and obey God and His Word even when it may define our, defy our own best interests by the world's calculations. Sometimes being faithful means that you have to deny yourself. In fact, I would argue that being faithful and obedient, om- obedient almost always causes us to deny ourselves, deny ourselves comfort, deny ourselves financial gain, deny other things. It's really easy to say that you've been faithful and obedient when you get a pay raise. It's really easy to live that life. It's much easier, it's much more difficult, I should say, when being faithful causes you have to give up something, especially when you're accustomed to the comforts that we've been given. In our case today, Abraham was called to give up what? His only son, the son that they had waited decades for, decades for, that God literally opened the womb of his wife so that he could, they could have this child that was promised. And here Abraham is getting ready to sacrifice his son by the will of God. So for the Christian in 2021, what does faith look like? So we're going to examine the story of Abraham and Isaac and in order to give us a little bit of insight. So first, let's look at the importance of the promise. So what's the big deal about this promise that was made, right? So we've already read the pertinent story this morning from Genesis 22, and most of us know this story uh, very well, but here's the brief summary, is that God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, and the one whom God's promises would be traced through, and Abraham was prepared to do it. That's the story. That's the summary. Abraham was prepared I mean, had him strapped down. It's like a Hollywood movie, right? You all have seen it. The guy has the knife over his head, right? And all of a sudden, what happens? The hero sweeps in. Well, who's the hero in this case? God. But here's the thing. Abraham's not the villain. Abraham was being obedient. God wanted to see his obedience. Liberal Christianity calls this story a fable or a myth. It's too unbelievable. It's just a fable or a myth. It's just, it's not real. 
It's not meant to be taken literal. It's just a story to kind of help us understand the, uh, the, the, the faith in general and those sorts of things, right? And the world literally calls this child abuse, all right? But the author of Hebrews calls it faith. Now, I, want to do, I do want to share one thing real quick, okay, as a caveat. And so let me say this. If you ever think that God is reenacting this exact narrative in your life, and you believe that he's calling you to sacrifice someone or something in the same vein as Abraham, you need to stop. You need to stop right there, okay? Put down the weapon, untie your neighbor or your husband, and and, and get some help, okay? Get some help. That's not what's going on, okay? That's not what's going on. That's, that's not what's going on. God is not speaking to you, all right? I need you to remember that this story that we read is a historical truth, but it is pre-Jesus, it's pre-New Testament, and it's pre-cross. The final sacrifice has already been made. There's no need for another sacrifice, so God's not going to call you to make that sacrifice. Christ fulfilled that. He was the Lamb of God. He's the final sacrifice. So if you ever hear that kind of whisper in your ear saying, sacrifice your husband, sacrifice your husband. Folks, don't. Don't. For the love of all that is holy. Crystal, don't. Okay. Anyway, I just need to throw that out there, okay? All right. So why was this faith? Why do we see this? This is faith. And here's why. Because upon the command of God, Abraham chose to do what most of us would deem impossible. Let's just, I mean, he chose to do what everybody else would have deemed impossible. And I dare say that's why God chose Abraham to do it. Because everybody else would think that it was impossible. But Abraham remained faithful because he said, God has been faithful to me in the past. God is going to continue to be faithful. The same God that called me out of the land of my fathers to this distant land and was faithful, the same God that while my wife was old and barren, opened her womb to provide this son to us, even while we were sinners, is the same God that's going to be faithful now. He's not going to call me to do something that's going to wreck or put an end to his own promise. And we're going to see that here in a minute. We're going to see how the author of Hebrews relates to that. Look here. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises and yet was offering his one and only son. He received this promise that the promise was going to be traced through his son, Isaac. And now his son, Isaac, is tied and put on a wooden, uh, a wooden altar. So not only had God commanded Abraham to kill his only son, but he was also commanding Abraham to eliminate the child by which the promise would be traced through. And so in essence, the promise of God would end before it even began. Now we're going to look and see how Abraham was able to do this, but first, I just want to elaborate for a moment on the importance of this promise. God's covenant with Abraham is literally and really the foundation of all of the Old Testament. Everything that God accomplishes with and through Israel up until Jesus can be traced back to that promise that God made to Abraham. Every bit of it is working to that end until the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ. Even the end events that occurred before the covenant of with Abraham was leading to that covenant. 
everything was leading to that covenant and everything else was built upon that covenant. That's how prom- uh, important that promise was. Christ himself was the ultimate answer to that promise. You can see how, how this one story, we read it as a, like, a little, like a children's Bible story, right? And we keep out some of the gruesome stuff. But we neglect to see how crucial that promise was. Everything centers on that promise. Christ himself was the answer to that promise, which, he, which is demonstrated in the first chapter of Matthew. You remember that the first chapter of Matthew where it talks about all the begats? Abraham had Isaac, Isaac, he had Jacob, right? All that, all the way to Christ, right? What that is demonstrating is that the promise that God made to Abraham, that his children would outnumber the grains of sand on a seashore, culminated with the birth of Christ. That Christ was the yes to all of God's promises. And so in the end, the strength of Abraham's faith is tied directly to his trust in God and the power of God's promise. So now what I want to look at briefly is the power of this promise. Not just the importance of it, but the power of it. So if God had failed even one of his promises, Abraham doesn't go up the hill with his son. He just doesn't, okay? If if God had proven that he was unfaithful, in just one of his promises, Abraham would not have had the faith to believe that God would be faithful in this. But God has never failed. God has never failed in fulfilling and answering one of his promises. Because God is not just a promise maker, God is a promise keeper. Abraham was trusting that the same God that was faithful in giving him a son would be faithful in preserving his offspring that would be traced through that son. But faith is not about looking behind us. That's not what faith is. It is easy to believe something that's already happened. That's not faith. That's called history. So faith is not about looking behind us. It's primarily about looking forward. And so last week, we looked at Hebrews eleven thirteen, And here's what it says here. These all died, including Abraham, They all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance. They looked forward and saw these promises and the answers in the distance, and they greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Abraham, based upon God's faithfulness in the past, was able to look forward into the distance and greet the fulfillment of those promises. I mean, that's what faith is. I know who my God is, and I know that if he makes a promise, I know that he's going to fulfill it. I know that he's going to fulfill it. And Abraham laid down his life for that. He built his entire life on the fact that God is faithful. And so even though Abraham did not get to experience the fullness of the fulfillment of that promise here on earth, He still did what was required and commanded of him because he knew that God would eventually be faithful in fulfilling that promise. And here's the beautiful thing about that is that now Abraham, being in presence of God, is seeing that promise ultimately fulfilled. Abraham trusted that God would provide a sacrifice, we are told. 
But even if God didn't provide a substitute, Abraham was still confident. So here's the thing. If you, re- if, if you notice when I was reading Genesis, I emphasized one word. When Abraham was talking to his fellow men, he said, me and my son are going to go up here and what is it to worship. And then what does he say? We'll be back. We'll be back. Wait, that's I'll be back. You get the idea. Okay. He said, I'm, we're coming back. We're coming back. He was confident that he would come back with his son. But even if God caused him or directed him to sacrifice his son, he knew that God would still remain faithful. How do we know that? Because he writes this. He considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. What did Abraham know? Abraham knew that even if God did not provide another way for, for the Isaac uh, to not be sacrificed, that if Abraham had to follow through on that sacrifice, that God would raise him from the dead so that God's promises would not, be, would not fail. Because God does not fail in keeping his promises. Now, folks, that is some faith because Abraham had not seen that. Abraham did not look forward and see the resurrection of the Christ, but he knew the importance of that promise, and he knew the importance of his son Isaac, and he knew that if Isaac was dead, that God would raise him so that God's own promises would be fulfilled. So if even if God had not stayed his hand, he knew that God would raise him from the dead, and God proved that he could. God proved that he could raise a son from the dead, didn't he? God did raise a son from the dead in order to fulfill his promise. It just wasn't Isaac. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. Why do you think Moses continually says in Genesis 22, 1 through 19, that Abraham brought his one and only son? Repeats it several times, his only son to sacrifice him on that fire. Because that is a, that is a reference, it is, an, it is a foreshadowing of the only son that would be sacrificed for our sake. And what does God prove? That he will raise him from the dead. And see, God still fulfilled his promises. Because if God had not raised Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit from the dead, our faith would be futile. That's what Paul says. If Christ is not alive, then our faith is dead. It's worthless. But Christ is not dead. He is alive. He is alive. We struggle at times when we put our faith in people because people regularly fail in keeping their promises. I mean, let's be serious. We know who we can trust and who we can't trust. We know who to put our faith in and who not to put our faith in. But let's also be honest. No one is perfect in keeping their promises. No one is faithful in completely doing what they say they're going to do. We all struggle with this at times. But people are not God. They will fail us, but God will not fail us. Which leads me to my final point. And it's standing on that promise. Now, God is not asking us to sacrifice our only child 
God is not asking us to build an ark. And God is not asking us to be the patriarchs of offspring that will eventually lead to the Messiah. So how do we demonstrate the faith of Abraham in our own lives? How do we know that God is at, of, know what God is asking of us? Do we wait on an audible voice? Are, we, are you sitting around waiting for an audible voice for God to tell you what to do so then you can enact your faithfulness? Is that what we're waiting for? And too often, we believe that living according to faith means that we make this big, grand gesture that causes us to teeter on the, age of, on the edge of success and failure. You've heard it before. You just got to have faith. You know, talking about these big monumental moves in life. You just got to have faith, right? You just got to leap out on the edge. You just got to go out on the edge of that limb, right? And have faith. It sounds as if like we're being real risky and, and you know, and reckless and that sort of thing. You just got to have faith. That branch isn't going to break, right? You just got to have faith in that. And that's kind of how we talk about it. That if I had a f- enough faith, I would quit my job and start a new career, even though I don't have the training. If I had enough faith, I would buy that car or house, even though the finances aren't there. If I had enough faith, I would become a missionary, even though my church doesn't believe I'm prepared. If I had enough faith, I would marry that person, even though every single person has told me that they're creepy and eat Hot Pockets on Friday nights. But it just requires faith. I'm not referencing my wife there, I promise. It just requires faith to do those things, right? just requires faith, this monumental faith. Now, it is possible that every one of these examples might require faith, or it might simply require recklessness. God does not want us to be reckless. So what are some guaranteed examples of God calling us to be faithful and not reckless? So, here you go. You want to know how you can be practically faithful demonstrate your faithfulness. Because I was thinking about this this morning as I was getting ready to come about this one point about the missionary. I have heard so many individuals, young Christians, that say, I want to go to, I want to, go to the ends of the earth. I want to share the gospel. I want to go teach individuals about Jesus. I want to do all these things for the sake of the gospel. I want to risk my life for the Lord and do all these things for the gospel. But they're not willing to go next door to share the gospel. Folks, I can promise you, I, I promise you this. If you are not willing and able to share the gospel with your neighbor, God is not going to give you the commission of going across the world and risking your life to share the gospel. There is too much at stake. Too much at stake. So what is it that we can do to demonstrate our faith? It's actually not difficult. It's not a secret. Let me share. What does faith look like? in the scripture, that we care for widows and orphans, even at great cost to ourselves, Folks, that's faith. That's faith. James 127. Faith is loving our enemies when they seem to make it impossible. Folks, that requires faith. You're not taught that in the world. You're taught to tolerate your enemies, not to love them. Faith is loving your life, loving your wife, even when you've had a rough day or she seems unlovable. 
That's Paul from Ephesians 5. Faith is respecting your husband even when you don't feel he has earned your respect. That's faith. Faith is feeding, clothing, and caring for the hungry and the homeless even though you believe that they may squander it. Jesus did not tell us to go give to the poor and the needy only if you're sure that they're not going to waste it. He just tells you to do it. Faith is obeying parents even when you think they're being unfair. And faith is laying your life down for another, even though the sacrifice is great. We think that faith has to be these massive grand gestures, going overseas, giving up a job, giving up a life that you're comfortable with, in order to be faithful. What if faith in essence, is just being obedient to the Lord. Just being obedient in the little things. Because if you're obedient in the little things, then God will bless you with the opportunity to be obedient in the big things. And I don't want to minimize these things. Folks, it is a big thing. I'm just going to tell you, and this is, not a, this is not a referendum on me and my wife's marital relationship. That's not what I mean by this when I say it. I'm just going to tell you. It is a big deal for a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That is a big deal. It is a big deal for a wife to respect her husband even when he hasn't earned it. It is a huge deal for a child to have enough faith to obey their parents even when their parents are being unfair and possibly sinful. It takes a lot of faith, a tremendous amount of faith, to love someone who's been wicked to you. Wicked. That takes faith. It takes a tremendous amount of faith to see that individual standing on the side of the street and giving him or her something that you've earned for their sake, even though you have been taught by society that most poor people are a bunch of lazy bums and they're only going to go to the, to the liquor store and spend your cash, not on food, not on their children, but on more liquor. That's what we've been taught by society. But it is faith to say, I'm going to trust that the Lord will bless this and help them. Faith does not have to be this monumental gesture that is genuine faith, but it doesn't have to be this monumental gesture where you uproot everything in order to demonstrate your faithfulness. Faith could simply be 
offering the coat off your back so that someone's not cold during the winter. Now, folks, people are not going to write stories about you. There's not going to be a movie made for you. And you may not get applause when you enter the room. But you have made a difference in that one individual for the sake of Christ. And just remember that the heavens applaud for one of those sheep that are called back rather than the 99 that are already in the fold. We're not doing this for applause and for for glory. We're doing, for our glory, we are doing this for God's glory. That's faith. Faith does not ask us to look at our neighbor or our enemy or our spouse or the hungry and calculate whether or not it is worth it to them or us to serve and obey the command of God. Jesus did not look at the Father and say, Father, I don't think these people are worth it. Because let me, let me just tell you this, you weren't, I wasn't, we did not earn what Christ gave us in his death and resurrection. We didn't earn that because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It was while we were sinners that Christ laid his life down on the... Christ did not sit there and calculate it. He didn't have a marker board and put up the, the pros and the cons of giving his life for these wicked people. What did he do? He followed the command of the Father, and he gave his life for us. And folks, I'm going to tell you, you can search all of the religions in the world, all the Eastern religions, all the uh, postmodern philosophies, you can search everywhere for someone who is willing to give their life for the wicked sinner, and none of them will, except for Jesus. And that's why he is the only way to the Father. So let's be clear. The strength of our faith is demonstrated by the level of our obedience. And when Christ called us to give the poor, he did not ask us to make sure that they don't waste it. He just asked us to obey. That's it. And let's be honest. Christ gave us new life, and many Christians squander it. You know that's true. You know that's true, and I know that's true. How do I know that Christ gave me new life, and there are many times that I squander it. How do I know it? Because I know me. I know that I squander it at times. Sometimes I am so concerned about whether I am faithful in what I deem to be these huge grand opportunities, but I fail to be faithful in those ready-made opportunities that are right in front of me. Those that are presented right there in the Word. If you're looking to be faithful to God, just be obedient to His Word. Serve and love the widow and the orphan. Give to the needy. Give to the hungry. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Give respect to your husband, even when he's not respectable. Kids, obey your parents, even when they're being unfair. And that's just a small list, folks. You can go through this entire thing, and there's tons of ways that we demonstrate our faith. If we want to see our faith nurtured, grown, and used by God, then let us first be proven worthy through our obedience to what He has already commanded in His Word. So I'll finish with this. I've often wondered 
when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, I've often wondered whether or not Abraham went to his office and began thinking about that and thinking about, well, what if I do this and pondering all this kind of stuff and you know, may have even shown some doubt and stuff like that. That's not what we see in the Scripture. What we see is that God asked and Abraham did. That's what we see, that there was no batting of an eye there. He just did it. And I believe that that's the case. Not because Abraham, not because Abraham is some sort of superhero faith machine. It's because God does not want us to sit there and put up the pros and the cons of being obedient to his word. He just wants us to be faithful and to trust him. And just trust him. So I'm calling us all this morning just to trust the Lord. Just to trust the Lord. It is true that we are to count the cost. It is true that we are to count the cost of following Christ. But that's before we make the commitment to follow Christ. Once we're in that boat, we are in that boat. It's not one foot in and one foot out. Trust Jesus. And start small. Look for ways that you, that you can be obedient, even in little, nondescript ways. And in 2021, the way things are starting, let me just recommend that we begin by loving the unlovable. Can we begin there? Just love people who seem unlovable. Do something kind for somebody in the name of Jesus that you don't feel deserves it. I believe that's what Christ would have done. But make no mistake, we don't stop there. We then share the gospel. Because morality is not enough. It requires faith.